Hello and welcome to the Neshama Project podcast where we explore spiritual tools for living a happier, healthy life with a little bit less suffering. I'm Rabbi Ben Newman. Today we will be finishing our series on the lower seven spherot, which are the lower seven spiritual qualities that we consider during the Omer period, which is the period between the holidays of Passover, which is the holiday of our freedom, and the holiday of Shavuot, the holiday where we receive revelation. Uh, This weekend is Shavuot, so we're coming to the last week, and this week is the week of the Svirah, the spiritual quality of Malchut, kingdom, also known as Shekhinah, the presence of God in this world. Uh, And Shekhinah is another name for the female side of God, the goddess, uh, for want of a better term in Judaism. And it's also the idea of the feeling of God that we have that's in this physical world with us. So we're going to be exploring three texts today. Uh, one is from Hillel Zeitlin, the neo-Hasidic thinker who died in 1942, martyred in the Warsaw Ghetto. He was a mystic, but also a modern mystic. And I'm going to be reading a text from him, as well as a piece by Rabbi Dr. Arthur Green, one of the contemporary thinkers, uh, writers on neo-Hasidism and Jewish spirituality. And then the last two pieces I'll read will be one from Rachel Pollack, the modern occultist and poet, and one from Rabbi Lynn Gottlieb, author of the wonderful book, She Who Dwells Within, and also one of the most important Jewish renewal rabbis and thinkers of our time. Let's begin with our short text from Hillel Zeitlin. He writes, Malchut, the final manifestation, is both all and nothing. Nothing and all. Malchut represents total revelation of the divine forces, a revelation to the person who is aware. You can see the divine will, thought, and qualities as they are revealed in creation. Yet you know that these are not all there is. Beyond all these forces, there still remains the absolutely hidden and mysterious One, beyond any hint of knowledge, not pointed to even by the tip of the Yud of God's name. This reality remains beyond even the most esoteric human thought, even outside the grasp of the thought underlying creation itself. Quote, Even primal man, Keter as manifest in the creative process, brilliantly shining light that it is, remains dark with regard to it. Unquote. You perceive the ordering of divine powers and feel in some way that there is also a hidden beyond all hiddens. You sense its existence, but know nothing of its nature. 
All of this comes about through Malchut, through the power revealed in creation, through appearance, vision, and revealed actions. Malchut, last in deed, but first in thought. Quote, Supreme Keter is the crown of Malchut, of which scripture says, he declares the end from the beginning, unquote. Isaiah 46.10. This means that the end of the Sefirot is linked up to their beginning. The final revelation, Malchut, is at the same time the deepest origin. Remember that the very essence of the highest Keter is the joy of creativity. Keter is the divine desire to reveal all the powers when that joy was still locked away in its most obscure hiding place. Revealed in its final externalization, that joy is malchut. That feeling of being within divinity is its, quote, desire to rule, unquote. When divinity glimpses that final deed from within its first thought, you have keter malchut. Because malchut is only a revelation of hidden thought, she is referred to as ma'amar, utterance, or dibur, word, or speech, the logos of philo, just as human speech reveals that which is hidden in the mind. And because she is revealed to humans, and we see and feel everything through her, she is the indwelling presence among people, the lower shekhinah, Rachel. But since she is finally nothing but an expression of that which is above her, she who receives their influence but does not influence on her own, she is called, quote, the speculum that does not shine, unquote. A specularia de enameira. All she shows and reveals is not herself, but the hidden source. She is the moon who has no light of her own, the beautiful maiden who has no eyes. Here you have the ten sfirot, joined to God like the flame to a burning coal. Their source is in the most hidden place, and through them and their various permutations, since each sphira contains all other, each of them is composed of ten, and combinations, various aspects, and rungs of the Sfirot as they emanate through the world in increasingly specified fashion, the cosmos is ordered. Their permutations in detail are reflected in the names of God, manifest as a hierarchy of powers in the universe and in the combination of letters in the Torah. Their general meaning is hinted at in the name yud heh vav in the following manner. Yud stands for the hiddenmost point Simsum, divine wisdom, Chochmah. He represents its spreading forth, the river, Bina. Vav, six, is the middle six, Midot, Chesed, Gevura, Tiferet, Netzach, Hod, and Yesod. The form of the letter Vav is also that of a dot over a vertical line, symbolizing the flow from the source and its being drawn downward. The second He is the final spreading forth. Malchut. I'm skipping ahead now a little bit, a couple of pages. All suffering, all evil and decrees, negative and judging forces represent a mixing of powers, 
derived from letters that are in themselves neutral. Those letters could be formed into any combination in the world. Quote, when the tzaddik rearranges the letters that constituted the evil decree, the matter is turned toward goodness, unquote. We have presented two general principles of sweetening judgment forces, that of uniting Malchut with her lover, Zayr, or the Blessed Holy One, and that of restoring Gevurot to their root in Binah. But there is a third way, higher still than the others. You can raise up Gvura forces not only to Binah, but to the root of all roots, the divine nothing, the divine desire. Quote, Shekhinah is called the end of the matter, having spread forth to the final rungs, as in his Malchut rules over all. Therefore, her feet descend into death. But once you know that their end is tied to their beginning, you can link Malchut, the final rung, called Ani, I am, to the highest place, called Ayin, nothing a reversal of the same letters. This is, I am the first and I am the last. In this way, you nullify evil forces, evil decrees, and all the workers of iniquity are split apart." Unquote. That's our reading from Hillel Zeitlin. Now let's turn to Rabbi Dr. Arthur Green. He writes, the tenth sphera, process fulfilled. Shekhinah, Malchut. The word Shekhinah derives from the Hebrew root Shachin, meaning to dwell. One noun formed from the root is Mishkan, the tabernacle or dwelling place of God in the wilderness. Mishkan means the place of dwelling. Shekhinah is more like that which dwells. Shekhinah is the presence of the one amid the many, the palpable reality of divinity within the here and now. The first nine sfirot refer to a reality that transcends our ordinary life experience. They represent the transition or the inner journey from hiddenness to manifestation, from Ein Sof to Shekhinah in both God and person. The final sphira, especially as understood in the Hasidic sources, is the God who is fully imminent within the natural and physical world, the God who is the subject of our regular awareness that the whole world is filled with God's glory. The imagery associated with Shekhinah in Kabbalistic teaching is particularly rich. She is Malchut, the kingdom into which the king enters and in which perfect harmony and fulfillment are found. Most of the verbal images portray Shekhinah in feminine terms or in aspects of nature such as land, sea, and moon, natural elements that are often linked to femininity. This has to do with the deeply sexual character of Kabbalistic thought, the flow of energy or being through the spheratic channels while sometimes likened to both light and water flowing from a hidden source is very much experienced by the Kabbalist as the flow of a person's inner sexual energies. Kabbalah rejects the usual Western separation of the physical from the spiritual realm. 
the flow of divinity from hiddenness to revelation, the flow of mental energies from egolessness to fullness of personality, and the flow of sexual energies from their deep inner sources to fulfillment in the act of sexual union are all manifestations of the same process. The Kabbalists, like people of all ages, were filled with wonder at the human reproductive process. Their teachings are in part a reflection of the links between love, its passionate fulfillment, and the flow of creative energies throughout the universe. As we conclude our discussion of the ten sfirot, and in our case, the seven, we need to talk about the special relationship between the first and the last of the ten. One of the most important names for Shekhinah and Kabbalah is Atara, another Hebrew term for crown. The first and last Svirot are both crowns, Keter and Atara. We said above that the word Keter also means circle because the crown is round. Now we should see the Svirot as a sacred circle, its end tied to its beginning and its beginning to its end, as the ancient Sefer Yitzirah teaches. The ten Svirot as a circle, represent the fullness of God, the complete circle, the oneness of being. Because Shekhinah dwells within us and we within it, we too are part of that circle. The circle of life includes all that is. In order to understand the process, to trace the origins of the many back to the one, we have allowed ourselves to open that circle, to turn it temporarily into a series of straight lines, so that we might see its progression going from one stage to another. This is the way our linear minds work. It is the style of what we sometimes call right brain thinking. Now that we have come to the end of the system, we must remember, as the Kabbalists are quick to remind us, that really we understand nothing at all. Therefore, we rejoin the circle, tie its ends back together, and allow ourselves to dance within it. Now the piece from Rachel Pollock. And now we finally come to the end, to that place we think of as the real world. Does this make it mundane or dull compared to all the wondrous places above? Not at all. For even though we can say that we live in Malchut all the time, we still need to enter it. That is, become conscious that this reality too is part of the great mystery of the tree. Malchut is the mystery of the physical, the world as a great spiritual wonder. If Adam mistook Malchut for all existence, it would not it was not because he found it boring, but because he found it so beautiful, so entrancing. The Zohar tells us that the Shekhinah lives in Malchut, that, in fact, the Shekhinah is Malchut. The Shekhinah is not just this female aspect of God, as if in some sort of schematic diagram that balances male and female, the Shekhinah is God's lover, the physical world as the beloved of the Creator. And since we live in Malchut, we too take part in that unending love. In the sexual imagery of the tree, Svirot 2 through 8 are all both feminine and masculine, for they receive energy from the Sphira above them and give it to the one below. Keter, Keter however, is entirely masculine, for nothing exists above it but the Ein Sof. Malchut is entirely feminine, for it receives from all the Svirot above it, but this does not make it passive. 
Malchut, the Shekhinah, is a feminine energy that pulses and thrills with life. The the Sfirot above Malchut all carry qualities of eternal truths. In Malchut, time truly emerges, compared to the principle of time in Gura, for in Malchut things grow and change and die. New things emerge, things that never existed before and never could exist without time as the great opener of possibilities. In Yesod we saw cycles, time seen as a great circle. The cycles of Yesod ebb and flow, but overall never really change. Only in Malchut does change become possible. Malchut is the place of evolution. From a Kabbalistic point of view, the debate between science and religion, between evolution and the Bible, seems misplaced. The Creator set up this world precisely as a place of evolution, and in that great movement over time, from the Big Bang all the way through to this very moment, we can discover the living presence of the Divine, the original meaning of Shekhinah. If we think of Malchut as time and change, it may seem paradoxical that this is the seventh day, when the great project of creation ended and God rested. But of course, paradox is the lifeblood of Kabbalah. Witness all those cross polarities. And this too is an aspect of Malchut, the place where everything reveals a paradox. For what is more paradoxical than the unfolding revelation of eternity within the daily struggles and beauties of the real world? Or for that matter, that the Ainsof created the tree within the flash of an instant not six 24-hour days, and yet the universe has developed over many billions of years. We will understand the idea that the Creator rested in Malchut if we understand what we mean by rest. Clearly, God did not lean back, put up his, her feet on some cosmic table and say, glad that's over. So what does it mean that God, goddess, ceased from labor, or that we should do the same? For the Creator, it means that the work The shaping of a cosmos with all its forces and energy and beauty and balance came to a point of perfection. Not static, not rigid, because that perfection includes the evolution of existence over time. No, the image of the tree shows us a living perfection, one filled with life. The idea that God rested also allows us to step back from the usual routines of our lives. Many people believe that the greatest gift of the Jews to to world religion is not the Kabbalah with all its revelations, not even the Torah, but in fact the Sabbath. Once a week, every week, we find a day that is different, a day not just to rest and restore our energies, though certainly it includes that. This is a day to look at the world in a wholly different manner, a holy manner. This is why in Jewish tradition, the Sabbath takes precedence over all other sacred days. Even on the Day of Atonement, usually described as the holiest day of the year, Jews will not say certain prayers if the day happens to fall on the Sabbath. And by the way, uh, this is just a side note from me, Yom Kippur is called Shabbat Shabbaton, the Sabbath of Sabbaths. Like all Jewish days, the Sabbath begins and ends in nature. That is, it does not begin at some arbitrary clock time, it begins when dusk falls on Friday night and it lasts until twilight of the following day. In the 16th century in the Kabbalistic town of Safed in Galilee, the followers of Isaac Luria would dance into actual orchards. Remember, pardes means orchard as the Sabbath approached. 
They went there not just to celebrate nature, but to greet the Shekhinah, the Sabbath bride. The Kabbalists say that we gain an extra soul during the Sabbath. This is the Neshama, the spirit soul that corresponds to the world of Bria. And the purpose of this soul is that we might make ourselves the physical bodies of the male and female aspects of God, the Holy One, and the Shekhinah. Many of us grew up in traditions that taught the Sabbath as a time of denial. Jews learn a long list of things they may not do. Christians learn to treat the Sabbath as grim and somber. Happily, modern church, many modern churches and synagogues have moved to a much deeper view of the day of rest, what we might call a more Kabbalistic view that sees the Sabbath as a day of joy and wonder. We can understand the idea of an extra soul in a less mystical, less mythical manner. If one day a week you attempt to focus on other things than the rest of the week, if instead of work and responsibility and mindless escapism you turn yourself to spirituality and celebration, wouldn't it seem like you have a different soul on that special day? Isabel Kliegman points out an important difference between Kabbalah and Eastern mysticism. There are many similarities. Unlike some Buddhist teachings, the Kabbalah does not consider the material world an illusion. Our souls incarnate into the world, and both the world and our bodies are very real and very necessary. We need to take our place in Malchut in order to learn and challenge ourselves. Kliegman points out that Jewish tradition teaches that we live with God through prayer, study, and good works, and that all these things can only take place in Malchut. We can think of the nine spherot above Malchut as the nine months of pregnancy. Malchut then becomes the baby, the reality that is born from the movement of energy through the stages of all the higher spherot. Malchut is the densest of the spherot, the furthest from the pure light of Keter, but it is also the strongest, for unlike the spherot above it, it did not shatter when the light streamed forth from Keter. Instead, it became the resting place for the broken shards. Kliegman describes Malhut as the place where the work of the world gets done. In Alan Moore's evocation of Malhut, our world contains more than one level of reality, from the dense darkness of the underworld to the archetypal upper levels just this side of Yesod. I would describe the lower levels, again we speak in metaphors here, as a sense of mixed energy, lumpy, where everything slides into everything else, where it's hard to tell one person's feelings or beliefs from another, when you have days in which you cannot think clearly, in which basic appetites seem to control you, in which you lash out at others, or simply cannot tell where your own self stop, stops and another, and someone else's begins, then you have slid down to this lower level. By contrast, in the upper levels, everything appears symbolic and meaningful. We see beyond the simple facts of events or behavior to their inner truth. In this state, we move toward the very edge of Malchut and the path that leads to Yesod. Alan Moore pictures this final path between Yesod and Malchut as a highway he calls Route 32. There are 22 pathways, but their numbers begin with 11 because the numbers one through ten belong to the Sfirot. We may think of this upper level of Malchut as something that only mystics or poets can enter. In fact, we actually operate this way a great deal of the time. We see our actions and other people's actions and events as symbolic of some inner message. You may meet a man at a party and respond to him strongly even though he's not done or said anything of great significance. 
If you examine your reactions, you discover he reminds you of your father, and not your actual father, but a kind of image in your mind of your father. Birthdays take place in the ordinary world, but even more in these upper reaches, for what difference does one day make over another? The strong reactions we experience when we turn 30, say, or 50, signal that we experience such events on their symbolic level. In the occult tradition, the body itself has layers, like concentric energy fields that radiate outwards. Beyond the physical body lies the etheric body, and beyond that, the astral. Malchut seems to rise out of the waters, and because of this, the entire tree lifts from the bright, jewel-like waves. The sea is the origin of life on our planet, and when we look at it, we sense the great unknowable source of our origins. We do indeed walk on earth in the sphere of Malchut, and the tree rises above us into the higher worlds, but it is only when we recognize our connection to earth, to the physical, that we can open ourselves to what lies beyond. We must not mistake Malchut for all existence, but we must not abandon it either, for everything comes into Malchut, and it is out of Malchut, out of our love for the world, that we begin our journeys. That was from Rachel Pollock. And now, finally, we end with a piece from Rabbi Lynn Gottlieb. Yehudim, Unifications. Shekhinah is the consuming fire by which dreamers are renewed at night. This fire takes all souls into itself and encloses them in its flame. Shekhinah is the great wide place which contains everything yet is not filled. As it is written, all rivers flow to the sea. The sea takes them in, brings them forth anew, and they go their way. Amen, amen. There is no place devoid of Shekhinah. The whole earth is full of her glory. This is the face of Shekhinah. Ancestor spirits, angels, and the ones who inhabit unseen worlds, the body of Israel, Torah Shabal Peh, all these are sustained by her light. Shekhinah is the womb of emanations, great mother Bina, replete with understanding. Her wisdom gives order and pattern to the living, daughters and sons she bears without number. We are the fibers of her being. In her great round, time is born. Between the mystery of beginnings and our return, we travel her way. Thank you very much. I wish you a Shavuot full of revelation. May you receive the wisdom, the Torah, the teachings that you need in this moment in your life. Until next time, this has been Rabbi Ben Newman with the Neshama Project. Take care.